Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As we continue in our series on the Beatitudes here at NBC, let me also add my word of welcome to any new or perhaps visiting with us over the long weekend. It's great that you can be here. My name's Ryan. I'm the senior pastor here at Nara Baptist. And we are, as I said, continuing our study of the Beatitudes. Pithy little statements by our Lord Jesus found in Matthew chapter 5. And if you're anything like me, you've been greatly impacted by our consideration of these sayings over the past term. And as we draw near to the end of our series on the Beatitudes, we should again be struck by the seemingly outlandish nature of these sayings. Blessed are those who are persecuted, says Jesus. Persecution, of course, is an ill treatment, an undeserved torment. A hostility because of something someone holds as a conviction. Persecution is not a pleasant experience. And yet here Jesus tells us that we are blessed, supremely blessed, when we're persecuted because of righteousness. And so continues the pattern of the Beatitudes. Things that we would normally consider to be Difficult, uncomfortable, negative, are shown in the Christian life to actually be a source of blessing. However, notice here as we look today at persecution, our Lord shifts his focus ever so slightly. He is still speaking of the supreme blessings that Christians will experience, that idea of being found in God's will, supremely blessed. But this one marks a subtle shift from things that the disciple of Christ does, impelled by the Holy Spirit, of course, to events or circumstances outside of our personal control. See the list in Matthew 5 that we've considered in the Beatitudes. It is we who discern our poverty after God grants us repentance. It is we who mourn our sin. We who humble ourselves in meekness. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We show mercy. We seek purity and we should strive for peace. But persecution... Well, that arises from without rather than from within. And yet Christ on numerous occasions in the Gospels, not simply here in Matthew 5, maintains that the likelihood of persecution for his disciples is not merely high, but certain. It is guaranteed in the devout life of Christian service. Think for a moment, if you will, of the fire danger signs that we have scattered around our great nation of Australia. If you are familiar with these colourful signs, which the arrow seemingly magically changes on day by day, you'll know that they begin at low, 
The second level is high. And they progress into more concerning terms. Very high, severe, extreme and catastrophic. Around the world, this is a fascinating thing. That our second lowest level of danger is high. Most places would consider that the upper echelons. But notice with our fire safety signs, there is no not at all option. The arrow never falls too far to the left. So it is with persecution for the Christian. We start at low. There is no no option. And that needle can rapidly swing to the right. The scale, like our fire scale, raises quickly and dramatically. And whilst it is true that Christians in Australia have enjoyed a season in which that needle has sat firmly in the low range, it is slowly rising. We can feel it. We can sense it. We can see it in our society. And friends, I expect that it shall continue on its rising course. Now, don't get me wrong. I know as well as you do that our persecutions are comparatively less than many that our brothers and sisters face around the globe. There are Christians right now, this day, for whom that needle is sitting on catastrophic. Their persecution is acute, torturous, and very, very real. And our scriptures encourage us to pray for those brothers and sisters. Not necessarily that their persecutions would ease, but rather that God might sustain them in the trials that they face for his name's sake. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul writes to the church speaking of such things. And he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers as those experiencing a relatively low end of persecution, it is our task to pray for our brothers and sisters as they endure the catastrophic for our Lord. Just as Paul urged the church at Corinth to do. We pray too that they might cling to and proclaim the gospel in amidst their suffering, even as they themselves press on to win the crown of life which Christ has promised them. We're reminded to pray. In Ephesians 6 verse 19 and 20, Paul says, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fiercely 
make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. That's not a spiritual comment, a very real physical comment. An ambassador in chains. He says, pray that I may declare the gospel fearlessly as I should. It is our task to pray for our brothers and sisters around the globe. And given that their realities seem so far removed from our own experience of persecution, it's worth noting here as we consider this beatitude that persecution takes different forms. One theologian, a man by the name of Peter Kreeft, observes this. He says, In a cruel and simple society, persecution takes a cruel and simple form. Christians are thrown to lions, hacked with swords. But in a comfortable and complex society like ours, persecution is more insidious because it is masked. It is an attack on the mind, not the body. It takes place in the media, not the Colosseum. I tend to agree with his sentiment. Persecution does indeed take different forms. And this morning, I would suggest that there are at least two types of persecution that we should be aware of. The first is the persecution of the hand. Things done physically to Christian brothers and sisters around the world. This is the physical torture, the beatings, the stonings. It is the visceral attacks on people. At the ultimate end of this persecution is the very real threat of death. This is what many experience when family members withdraw from them, leaving them to fend for themselves in hunger. This is imprisonment. Physical abuse for those who follow after Christ. The author of Hebrews recalls that this persecution of the hand is nothing new. It is how the prophets of God have always been treated. In Hebrews 11, from verse 35, having recalled the heroes of the faith, the author writes, There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains. They lived in caves and in holes in the ground. There are places in our world where these are the present realities, not simply the recollection of history's past. 
Much of the catastrophic level of persecutions are persecutions of the hand. Physical torment inflicted on the disciples of Christ. If you are unaware of these things, if you do not have an understanding of them that you might pray appropriately for our brothers and sisters, I would encourage you, friends, to look into organizations like Voice of the Martyrs and Open Doors. Organizations that highlight the very serious persecution taking place around our globe. Inform yourself that you might pray as you should for our brothers and sisters. The second form of persecution that we should consider this morning is the persecution of the tongue. And just as the persecution of the hand is physical, so the persecution of the tongue is verbal. It is the slander that we experience, the mocking or teasing. It is found in policy writing, in media reports, in insults, and in lawsuits. It is these persecutions that we are experiencing more and more in our developed society. And they are especially apparent and intentionally acute when we stand for truth. When we stand according to God's word, when we stand for what is right, when we seek righteousness as we should, we are more and more finding ourselves rejected by our society. We are considered backward, closed-minded, bigoted, foolish, even immoral. Know these things may be unpleasant for us to experience. They should not come as a surprise. Jesus promised that persecution would mark out the Christian life, that rejection would be commonplace for his disciples. If you have your Bibles, please open up to John 15. In John 15, speaking of these very real threats of persecution, both of the hand and of the tongue, Jesus instructs his disciples and we who follow after him. John 15 from verse 18. He says, If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. 
As it is, they have seen me, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what was written in the law. They hated me without reason. These words of Christ spoken to his followers teach us today still that if we follow Christ, if we call ourselves Christian and bear the name of Jesus, we will be hated by the world. Jesus was perfection. God incarnate. In him there was no sin. And yet in this world, he was rejected, despised, tormented, tortured, beaten, and ultimately killed. Praise be to God that he rose from the grave victorious, that we can know his salvation, but see in his story how much the world hated him. How very much it rejected him. And he says, to his followers, it will be the same for you. But why did the world hate Jesus? Why will the world hate his disciples? Why will there be this persecution? Well, friends, you may recall a few weeks ago that I likened the Beatitudes to a tree. The roots or the foundation for spiritual self-assessment for our life is the discerning of sin, the mourning and grieving of sin and the repenting of it, the humbling ourselves meekly before God and others. These are the roots of our life. They give way to life as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, life which bears fruit, described in the remainder of the Beatitudes. This life of righteousness produces an abundance of fruit, the fruits of the Spirit. But that is the same righteousness that leads to persecution. Friends, what we need to see is that whilst the fruit of righteousness is sweet to the Christian, it is sour to the world. The world cannot help but despise the righteousness of Christ. The world is in rebellion against our Lord. It literally cannot help it. So far from God are those lost in sin. Consider the passage that Jill read for us this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 3, feel free to join me there if you'd like. This is the description that Paul offers of those who have turned from God. Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents ungrateful, unholy, without love, 
unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. This is the world without God. And how very opposed are those descriptors to what we see in the fruit of Christian faith. How very opposed are those descriptors to God's law and God's expectations for a holy life. No wonder the world rejects those who seek righteousness. We are so very opposed to one another. It's no wonder that Paul continues in verse 10 of 2 Timothy 3. You know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance. How opposed are these words? He goes on to say that persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra. The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Friends, we need to see the reality that Scripture presents, how very separate are the two camps of this world. Those in Christ, holy, righteous, seeking after God's goodness and His ways, as opposed to the lost, the destitute, those caught in sin. How very distant is that separation? Perhaps... Nowhere more neatly than Romans 1 do we find a description of the rebellion, the state of the world without God. Romans 1 from verse 28 says, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but approve of those who practice them. how very differently we experience the fruit of righteousness. So sweet to the Christian. So sour and bitter and out of place to those still lost in the world. In such a world as Romans 1 describes, it is little surprise that the one who truly hungers and thirsts for righteousness is persecuted. The nearer we draw to God, the more we reflect the image of Christ, the more the world cannot bear it. The only real hope is that sinners will come to faith. 
that they will move from darkness into light, then their persecuting will stop. Even as they join we who shall experience it. That's what happened when Paul converted, is it not? He went from persecutor to persecuted. Brothers and sisters, when we stand for truth and right, when we cling to the gospel and proclaim it boldly, when we live for Christ, we will be rejected by this world that has rejected him first. One word of caution here. Not all negative comments about Christians counts as persecution. We cannot simply write off everything the world says as persecution. One of the most regular criticisms that we hear of the church and of Christians is that of hypocrisy. And if we find ourselves or our church indeed being hypocrites, to have it pointed out is not persecution. Rather, it is God's way of revealing sin. If someone's comments to you actually reveal a failing and a sin in your life, don't simply write it off as persecution. Rather, return to the spiritual mourning of sin. Repent and once more pursue righteousness. But friends, when true persecution comes, and it will, Jesus reminds us that we are actually blessed. Why? What is it that makes persecution a blessing? Again, if you have your Bibles, come with me now to 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4, I'm going to read for us from verse 12. Peter, of course, is writing to a church, persecuted, scattered. In 1 Peter 4:12, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. Praise God that you bear the name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good or continue to live in righteousness. <clears throat> we are reminded here by Peter who himself suffered greatly for the gospel that 
persecution for Christ's sake reminds us of the name we bear. Reminds us that we are found in Christ. And that even persecution of Christians does not sit outside the sovereign control of God. And so we are blessed because our Lord uses these circumstances to refine us, to grow us, and to remind us who we truly are in Him. It forces us, as we mentioned in the prayer for the persecutor, to depend on Christ. It reveals that we are indeed on the right path, shows us that we truly are gospel people. And so persecution can be a blessing. The disciples experienced this themselves, including Peter who penned these words in Acts 5, 40 and 41, having been brought before the governor and tried and indeed flogged. We hear this. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. This is what Acts recalls. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. There is blessing in persecution. It reminds us of who we truly are. And it reminds us of what is truly ours. As our Lord says in the Beatitude, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. One last journey in our scriptures. If you have your Bibles, please return to the Gospel of Matthew. This time we're going to chapter 13. In Matthew 13, Jesus lays out a series of teachings in the form of parables. And in the midst of a great many lengthy parables, there are two found in Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46. These brief statements speak of the kingdom of heaven, what is ours if we follow Christ. Matthew 13 from verse 44. Jesus declares, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had and bought it. Persecution. A costly experience in this world reminds us of the immeasurable worth that we have found in Christ and his kingdom. Would you give, brothers and sisters, all that you have for the immeasurable worth of the kingdom of heaven? Would you suffer for Christ? 
Would you persist through hardship and slander? Would you stand for truth when the world rejects it? Would you pursue righteousness even if the world hates you for it? Persecution shows us the value of what we have. It helps us know the worth of what we shall enjoy for all eternity, of what Christ gave his life to establish. Friends, like the merchant or like the man in the field, would you cling to the kingdom of heaven in such a way, despite all the world has? Would you hold tight and fast to the kingdom of heaven? Truly to do so, despite the rejection of the world, is to live the blessed life. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Would you join with me in prayer? Our Lord Jesus, we know that in this world and in your life, You, more than any, were rejected, despised. You were the object of insult and slander and curse. You were the target of violence and torture and murder. We praise you that you endured these things. for the sake of your glory, for the sake of justice. We praise you that through these things, not in spite of them, you made a way for sinners to be forgiven. You made a way for us to be brought into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus, we praise you that despite what the world has done, You rose victorious, unblemished, holy, and perfect. That you have secured our hope for an eternity. But Lord, you have reminded us that in this world, we too, like you, will be rejected, persecuted, slandered, tortured, killed. For those around the world who suffer these catastrophic persecutions, Lord, we ask that you would indeed sustain them. Help them to know what it is to bear the name of Christ and to cling firmly to the hope that you have given them. Enable them to preach the gospel despite their hardship. And for us here, Lord, who sit at the lower end, Though perhaps the needle is rising on our level of persecution, we ask that you would prepare us for what lies ahead. That in those moments of hardship, we too would cling dearly to the treasure that we have in heaven. That we would hold firmly to Christ. That we would not waver in our pursuit of righteousness. That we would seek to glorify you in whatever circumstance your will has prepared for us. We ask it all that others might be one 
this life-changing kingdom and that you might receive all the glory. We pray it in your name.